This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, a new vision of aging. Support CARP with your membership today. Visit carp.ca. Good afternoon, happy Valentine's Day, and welcome to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. I'm Libby Snymer. Today is Hazel McCallion's 100th birthday. We talked about her early life when I sat down with her for a special interview to mark the occasion. And imagine seeing your work on the cover of Time magazine. Amanda Gorman, America's National Youth Poet Laureate, chose a gown by the local label Greta Constantine for that prestigious picture. I'll talk to designer Kirk Pickersgill. But first, here are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. A French nun believed to be the second oldest person in the world has beaten COVID-19 just before she turned 117 last week. Sister Andre tested positive in mid-January, but showed no symptoms. The centenarian, who is blind and uses a wheelchair, says she wasn't frightened by her bout with the deadly virus. The only person older than her, according to the Gerontology Research Group, is a Japanese woman who turned 118 on January 2nd. A 95-year-old woman will soon be tried in a German court for allegedly being complicit in the killing of more than 10,000 people while she worked as secretary at a concentration camp in World War II. Identified only as Ermgard F., she'll be tried in juvenile court since she was under 21 at the time of her alleged crimes. Here at home, Jewish groups are outraged after an immigration hearing for a former Nazi death squad member was put off again. The case against 96-year-old Helmut Oberlander has taken 25 years in court and will be delayed further after his lawyers obtained a postponement. The federal court ruled in 2018 that he contributed to the murderous aims of his unit and should never have been allowed to come to Canada. Ottawa started the bid to expel him in 1995. His citizenship was revoked four times. He was able to appeal the first three times, but was unsuccessful the fourth time. Scientists at Cambridge University have made a vital step in finding a cure for Parkinson's disease. Their research breaks new ground in understanding the role of a key brain protein that causes Parkinson's when it behaves abnormally and forms clumps that kill neurons. Until now, scientists have not known how it functions normally. More than 10 million people worldwide live with Parkinson's disease, including Canadian Michael J. Fox. There are treatments and drugs available to manage the disease, but nothing is available to reverse its effects. Quaker Oats finally has a new name and logo for its Aunt Jemima products, 
retiring the branding that has long been criticized as a racist caricature. It will be replaced with the name Pearl Milling Company, now that parent PepsiCo has purchased the trademarks for that. The Pearl Milling Company was the late 19th century business that came out with the first ready-made pancake mix. I'm Libby Snymer, and those are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. Today is Hazel McCallion's 100th birthday. I was fortunate enough to have the opportunity to sit down with her to talk about her remarkable life. While the broad outlines of her career are well known, the story of how she got there from very modest beginnings is not. Here is some of our very long, socially distanced talk in Zoomer Hall. Happy birthday to you. What are your thoughts on turning 100? You know, I look back over the last 100 years. It's been an exciting life. I've had good health, which is so important. The many experiences, the people I've met along the way, many of them have been such great assistants because you don't do it alone. You don't accomplish anything really alone. It's others that can help you. So it's been a wonderful experience. Now, whenever anyone reaches a great age, in great shape, the obvious question that everybody wants to ask is, what's your secret? I grew up on a farm uh, in Port Daniel on the Gaspi Coast. I uh, uh, ate good organic food because being on a farm, we had our own vegetables, our own pork, our own beef, our own eggs, chickens, and you name it. And I think if you have a good beginning in life, with good food, healthy food. You know, I never knew what a hamburger was till I went to Quebec City. I drank a lot of milk, on pasteurized, by the way. <laughs> so I think, uh, I think that's very important to your health through the years. Do you think genetics has anything to do with it? Well, yes, I think it has uh, something to do with it. But I still believe that... Uh, uh, lots of good exercise and good food makes all the difference in the world. You had very modest beginnings. Oh, yes. How did that play into what you became? Well, uh, being born in 1921, I went through a depression. I had, you know, I only had two toys as a kid, a doll and a plush bunny rabbit, uh, or second-hind clothes. So uh, I came up the hard way, and I think it teaches you to appreciate what you're able to accomplish. You know, I used to look at the Eaton's catalog that used to come into the house and think of all the wonderful things that other kids had I didn't have, but it didn't bother me. My mother was a nurse. She graduated from the Montreal General Hospital in 1901, so the five children that we had, uh, I had two brothers and two sisters. I was the baby, a little bit spoiled, by the way. There wasn't even a skating rink in my uh, town when I uh, was young. Uh, I used to uh, skate on ponds that froze in, in the farmer's fields, etc., or on the, uh, on the Bay of Shalor, the ocean. So, you know, you come up appreciating things because of what you didn't have. I think of the kids today that they got more toys 
They don't know which one to play with. You just mentioned skating. Is that where you learned to play hockey? Because you've broken many barriers, but you were even a professional hockey player. Yeah. Well, my brother worked in Montreal, and then he came home to set up a business in our hometown, and he brought me a pair of skates. I was only five at the time. My two sisters skated and played hockey, so we had a a league on the Gaspé Coast. And uh, then when I graduated from Quebec High School and went to Montreal, I heard about a a league at Montreal of, of female hockey. So I decided maybe I should try to see if they would accept me. I had a tryout. They accepted me. So that's how I played professional hockey in Montreal in the league. Paid $5 a game. And by the way, the team that I played for was Kick Cola. That was <laughs> I the, remember Kick Cola well, in Montreal. Kick Cola was the name, uh, the company that sponsored my team. I have two big bottles of Kick Cola sitting in my kitchen. Speaking of your education, you couldn't go to university because you couldn't afford it. You went to secretarial school. Yeah, no, I couldn't. My mom and dad uh, couldn't afford to send me. Back then, thinking back, do you remember what kind of ambitions did you have for yourself at that point? Well, uh, my dad was hoping that I would, he knew I was going to Notre Dame secretarial school, and he hoped that when I graduated, I would come home and help him with his business. But instead, I decided to work in Montreal, and uh, my second job was with Canadian Kellogg, engineers and contractors in the petrochemical field. So I was secretary to the boss. Well, the company was awarded the... uh, contract to build the world's first synthetic rubber plant at Sarnia. And they insisted that we had to have an office in Toronto. So he said to me, would you come with me to Toronto to set up an office? So that's how I got up to Ontario. So I came to Toronto, helped him set up the office. We built the synthetic rubber plant during the war. And then the the company left me in charge of the company because there were no more contracts during the war. And then they gave me a choice of going back to Montreal or staying in Toronto. I chose Toronto. And because the reason I chose Toronto, I joined St. Michael All Angels Church, Anglican Church on St. Clair, and got involved in the young peoples. I lived down the street from that church. Well, that's where I began my career. That attracted me. Uh, So the company transferred the head office from Montreal to Toronto so I could carry on to represent the company until after the war till we got back into the business of building oil refineries and chemical plants. When did you start being ambitious, though, for other things? Well, I think think when when you know that you can't be helped by your family because they're not able to help you, you, you make up your mind, you're going to do it on your own. And that was my ambition. I said, I got to do it on my own. I couldn't go to university or college, but I was determined that with the education I had 
and with looking to others to help you along the way, that uh, you could make it. So I was determined I was going to make it. Next week, I'll have part two of this interview talking about Hazel's remarkable career. And in the meantime, you can watch the TV version tomorrow, Monday, February 15th, on the Zoomer TV at 10 p.m. on our sister station, Vision TV. I'm Libby Snymer, and this is the Zoomer Week in Review. Coming up, a huge break puts a local design team on the world stage. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, a new vision of aging. Support CARP with your membership today. Visit carp.ca. We are striving to forge our union with purpose, to compose a country committed to all cultures, colors, characters and conditions of man. That's Amanda Gorman, America's National Youth Poet Laureate, reciting a poem at the recent presidential inauguration. The performance catapulted her to international fame and landed her on the cover of Time magazine. The gown she chose for that celebrated shot is by Canadian fashion label Greta Constantine, designed by Stephen Wong and Kirk Pickerskill. I reached Kirk in his studio. Congratulations. Uh, Thank you so much. (laughs) What's your reaction to it? I'm still reacting to it, actually. It seems so surreal. That's the only way I can think of it. It's just, you know, what the world is going through right now, and it's just the part of it of, something so good like this happening and when the world seems like it's at its worst. It just It's a great pick-me-up for not only myself, but the company. Yeah, did you ever in your wildest dreams imagine? Not at all. You know, somebody has told me, okay, you're going to dress a talent or as a, a singer or you're going to do a red carpet or you get the cover of, say, Vogue magazine. I'd be like, okay, I get that because that's kind of an industry standard. So that's a goal that we have and we want to do. But when someone tells you you're going to be on the cover of Time with Amanda Gorman wearing your gown, that is just, it takes it to a different level. It's just, like, how many times can you say you're going to be on the cover of Time? How did this happen that you supplied the dress for that cover? This was just a request from her stylist, and from the, it just took off from there. And I found out about it on the shoot. It was a Friday. I found out about it the Thursday. And what did they tell you they were looking for? They called and said they're looking for, because they have our lookbook. They have a series of our lookbooks over the season. So they requested two dresses in particular. When you sent the dresses over, which is also to get it there quickly these days, is not necessarily that easy. I was going to say that. It wasn't easy. That's what was our biggest fear, because of what's going on. And because of the postal service, we were biting our fingers, thinking, you know, it's probably not going to get there, because the request was literally sent, I think, the day before. So fast forward to Friday, the day after um, the clothes, they received the clothes. We get a message just before leaving work saying that the dresses were shot on her, and that's it. There was no mention of cover. There was no mention of inside. There was no mention. They were just saying, you know what, at least we got her in the clothes, which is always a good sign. But she doesn't know where the direction to which it's going to. So fast forward until 9 o'clock in the, after, 9 o'clock in the evening. And I get this text message from my agent in L.A. She says, 
well, you remember the Amanda Gorman pull, the pull meeting, the shoot, we're like, yes. And she's like, well, you got the cover. Wow. And <laughs> just like burst out in tears. It was the most bizarre. I wasn't expecting to hear that at all. How important is it that uh, you are a black designer? She had a lot of choices of clothing. And she had from Chanel to Saint Laurent, but he said Laurent, but she gravitated to our dress. And he's like, funny enough, this is a black designer in Canada. And the whole crew was black also, which was an amazing, amazing experience. What does something like this do for your business? Oh, it is such brand awareness beyond. It's a, how I see it is Time isn't a fashion magazine. It's an international magazine. So you're not only getting Amanda Gorman in your clothing, but you're getting, you're piquing people's interest to see, well, who is this Greta Constantine? And we've gained a lot of followers through our social media. We've noticed that it's, it's just a great brand awareness. Are you going to have the chance to meet her? We're hoping. Yes. <laughs> There's always hope. It's like, we're not really in the business to meet talent. We're just so happy and we're so appreciative of them appreciating our talent. Kirk, I hope to see you in person again sometime as someplace where I can be wearing a beautiful dress. <laughs> exactly. Even if you come and visit and play dress up. Okay. More than welcome. Thank you so much. You're welcome. That was Kirk Pickerskill of Greta Constantine. You can see the famous picture on zoomeradio.ca under news. And that brings us to the end of this week's edition of the Zoomer Week in Review. I'm Libby Snymer. Thanks for joining me today. Be sure to come back next week to stay up to date with all things Zoomer worldwide. Zoomer Week in Review is produced by Zeev Huddy, Christine Ross, and Paul Thomas. Technical producer, Justin Eacock. Executive producer, Moses Neimer. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.